everybody. Welcome to the January 23rd edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Denver's parade earlier this week in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The combined march and parade broke attendance records with more than 30,000 participants, including many elected officials. Patty Calhoun from Western. I know last week we talked about, you know, in advance of the holiday, didn't know what it was going to be like with, this, with obviously a, a different mindset and different flavor going on right now in the world and, and in Denver. Uh, what did you think of the event? Well, it was amazing that there was as big a turnout as there was. The record, Denver's always had one of the bigger Martin Luther King days. Colorado was one of the first of the states to make it a holiday. But the fact that we had not just a very, very large memorial, but that it went off quite peacefully, considering everything else that's been going on in the country, was great. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, Colorado has a long tradition, a proud tradition, with uh, MLK Day and the Marade. Um, what struck you this year? Well, it, again, it, it continues to fulfill Dr. King's vision of, of people coming out peacefully in, in large groups to, to speak their mind on, on the issues of the day. You know, Representative Wilma Webb was the sponsor of this, uh, which became law in 1984. And as it, the marade grew and grew, there were some people who ended up marching in the parade who had voted against the King holiday in the first place. And some people said, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. And her view was, no, that's what Dr. King would say, is, you know, it, it's better to be right later. Uh, and if you are, then come in and, and, and join the party. Uh, speaking of joining the party, Eric Sonnen is back, uh, first part of the year. So welcome back. Happy New Year, Eric. Um, Thank you. Uh, what did you make of the event and the fact that it broke attendance records, uh, I guess, on a, on a very nice January day? It was a nice day. It's become quite the happening. It's become almost a requirement for any elected official. It's not an optional thing. It's, it's, it's part of the annual calendar for these elected officials, something they're expected to do, and in almost all cases, a place I think they want to be. If you flash back to you know 1968 when uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated, you know this country has come some remarkable distance in that interim. There is still a distance to go, but I think you have to acknowledge the distance we've come, and at some point, hopefully, we'll realize his famous words about uh, judging people based on content of character, not color of skin. That is a step we have still not taken as a society. Mm -hmm. And Dan Healy, uh, political uh, strategist consultant with EIS Solutions. Uh, it's great to have you back on the panel. Uh, wrap it up for us. Yeah, there's not much more I can say than what everybody else has, has already said. I think after the year that we had in this country in 2014, it was wonderful to see so many people of different colors, uh, different sexual orientations all coming together and, as you said, uh, marching peacefully through the streets of Denver to celebrate a great man. Colorado's Joint Budget Committee has delayed a funding vote this week regarding a controversial program that issues driver's licenses to non-citizens. Republicans voted against the funding request for the program in a committee hearing on Thursday. Some Democrats referred to the decision as a partisan game, but committee chairman Republican Kent Lambert reiterated that this is a new General Assembly with new leadership. Uh, Patty, this made headlines throughout the week. Now, this was a program that was controversial throughout 2014, and it, it looked like some people were calling it extra funding, but some folks were saying this was the funding that the program itself had actually raised. It's a little confusing. What did you make of the story? Well, what I love is anyone saying it's a partisan game as though politics isn't partisan. <laughs> like, oh, shocking. There are two different parties in the, st in the state house, and we're going to have some fights. But it's amazing how quickly the kumbaya has turned into nya, nya, nya from the Colorado Republicans in the Senate. It wasn't just this case, but we also had an equal pay 
proposal go down. We had a definition of gay unions thing get thrown out. But this was the big one. And you're right, this, this program has been controversial from the beginning. It took a long time to get it through for reasons that are pretty hard to still understand. I have never figured out why Colorado didn't have its driver's license manual, you know, the, te the practice test thing already in Spanish, given the population of this state. This 166000 that the committee turned down was supposedly taken from driver's license fees anyway. And if that's the case and it was going to go to this program, the program that got a slow start is just barely beginning to catch up, clearly needs added help. And now this, this is truly a roadblock in the way. Obviously, there's going to be some more partisan games before we're done. And I'm guessing the program will at least get some funding back. But without it right now, they're going to really have big trouble. Mm -hmm. David, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, with the Joint Budget Committee, you have equal number of Republicans and Democrats. And I guess that on this initial vote, I think one of the Democrats wasn't there, but that's why they're delaying the vote till next week. But for something to pass, you still need a majority, even though it's, it's equal there. Do you think that's as a chance of happening, even though it's been delayed, or was the delay even worth it? I, I think the delay is, is worthwhile and hope it continues uh, for a long time. The, the Joint Budget Committee, you have so the Dems, Dems have the majority in the House, so they would put two Democrats and one Republican on the Joint Committee. Gotcha. And the Republicans have the majority in the Senate, they'd put two Republicans and one Democrat on. And as you say, for the Joint Budget Committee to affirmatively vote anything to, to spend money, you need four. Gotcha. So you, you would need, uh, they can't actually pass spending on anything without some bipartisan support, which, which is actually a, a good idea. Try going to Mexico, illegally entering the country, committing a crime to cross the border illegally, whether you're coming south from the United States or north from Guatemala, and then illegally remain in Mexico, and, and go to your local uh, city or state government and say, I'd like a Mexican driver's license. You will not get one. Mexico is a very harsh and stringent country against illegal immigration into Mexico, which is a legitimate policy for Mexico to protect its own national sovereignty. In, in New Mexico, Governor Susana Martinez, who of course is of Hispanic heritage, is vehemently opposed to giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens because, as she correctly says, there is no reasonable way you can legitimately be sure that the person whose name you're putting on the license really is that person who they purport to be. And then with a driver's license, you have a breeder document for everything else. So it is a extremely dangerous thing for national security to give driver's licenses to people who are illegally in this country. So, Eric, uh, politically, the way that the committee is going to do this, it was for extra funding, but you can argue with this for the program or else. Does, is this a way for Republicans to, to make the point that, that David is making, that they just want to kill that program? Uh, or was it an extra step that uh, will still let the program exist, but just not with extra funding? Well, I mean, the program still exists, but it exists in a meaningless way if there's no money to support it. Uh, right now, I think even with the paltry funding it had before, and remember back to the governor's race, John Hickenlooper was taking a lot of criticism for, from Latino groups for the underfunding of this program. And out of all the driver's license offices in the state, even before this JBC action, I believe only four of them 
we're offering this service. Now, after the JBC action, it will be one driver's license office. They're saying it could be a wait as long as 16 years, which is obviously interminable, and no one's going to do it for, for anyone to take advantage of this service. If you're going to have this law in the books, then you probably ought to fund it and make it meaningful, and, and that applies to both the executive branch and the legislative branch in this case. If not, take it off the books. But this was a law that was passed only with Democratic votes, and this is you know, a problem in this polarized uh, political system we're in, whether it's in Denver or in D.C. these days, when you pass something with only votes from one party and there is no bipartisan consensus about the bill, then when political power shifts, well, the worm then turns and the other party uh, gets their say. Uh, if this had been a more bipartisan thing in the beginning, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation now. But it wasn't, and, and that's become a part of the part of the pattern of um, polarized politics in our country. Dan, some uh, Senate Democrats were claiming, you know, we, we can have these battles on the Senate floor, the House floor, but we usually don't do them in a budget committee. That's someone that's a, a, an opinion. What do you think of that? Is this an appropriate way for Republicans uh, to make a stand against this particular law, or really should that be done uh, within the state, state Senate and the State House? Sure. Well, part of the problem here is that. Um, if Representative Dave Young had actually been in committee, instead of having his photo taken, which is what was happening, he was having his legislative photo taken, according to Pat Stedman, uh, this thing would have been tabled anyway. So I think it's appropriate for them to do it. Th these three Republicans should be no surprise voted against the bill to begin with. So they're, gonna, they're not going to vote to fund it. This is all part of having a split legislature, and you end up with these, I don't want to call them problems, these issues to deal with. I also think this is another, is another example of what happens when the federal government doesn't act on something like immigration, which is their job to do, and they have failed to act on it for years and years, and then states take up that mantle and decide to do something, and then you see the problems arise at that point. President Obama's State of the Union speech was on Tuesday, and he presented several ideas meant to continue job growth and the economic progress the country is making. Republicans responded with skepticism, claiming that the president is in favor of some job programs but does not support the jobs created by the Keystone Pipeline. David, like any State of the Union speech, this was not going to set policy agendas. You have a Democratic president with Republican uh, Senate and House. It's, it's, it's not going to change the world. But what were your impressions of the speech? I, I wish he had, would eventually get around to following up on that promise he made in Denver at Mile High Stadium in 2008, where he was going to go through the federal budget line by line and, and get rid of waste. Uh, it was also interesting to see this uh, kind of greatest hits reprise he did of himself at the end of the speech about that, that wonderful speech he gave at the Democratic National Convention in 2004, and yet so much of what had come before was so partisan and divisive and, and, and class warfareish. He got elected president, as he reminded us, uh, because he promised not to raise taxes on the middle class. Not one penny he promised. His proposal is to eliminate the tax deductibility for 529 plans. That's what people put in uh, special accounts to save money for your kid's college. That's about thrift. That's prudence. It's preparing for the future. He wants to destroy those. That's the opposite of setting a good foundation for our economic future. We already have a tax system that is more punitive towards upper income earners than Sweden, Britain, Canada, and he wants to make it even worse on them by playing this class warfare card, supposedly against the rich, but the middle class people with their 529 accounts are going to be huge collateral damage if his terrible ideas ever became law.
Eric, some of the, the ideas that President Obama was talking about with his agendas almost seem like if, uh, you, know, or, you know, going through the different kinds of steak you want if you're in a vegetarian restaurant. You can say all you want, but you're not going to get anything. So <laughs> it, 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 was there anything of substance that you had out of the speech, whether it's for uh, the president or about the Congress that is some substance, substance of that something might come from this, or was it just another speech? I find the State of the Union to be sort of stale theater, even on a good year. Mm -hmm. And this was not only stale theater, it struck me as sort of bizarre and weird theater. Uh, you have, there's not a single thing he proposed, with perhaps some exception of some foreign policy pieces, that has any chance in the world of ever seeing the president's desk for a signature. It, 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 it's all just kabuki theater. None of this is going to happen. You have a very divided Washington these days with different ideas, different governing philosophies. Uh, the soundbite moment of the speech was, as I don't know if it was David or, or you, Dominic, uh, mentioned, David, uh, yeah. you know, when he sort of po po pointed his finger at the Republicans and reminded them he'd been elected twice, uh, and uh, to which a bunch of Democrats applauded uh, predictably at that point. But the ones applauding were the Democrats in the building. There are a whole lot of Democrats <laughs> who are no longer there who might have had a different feeling about this because there were a whole lot of Democrats who, and senators and congresspeople who had fallen on their sword for this guy. I mean, the number of Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives is at the lowest point since 1928. Think about that. Uh, Herbert Hoover was president the last time there were this few a number of Democrats in Congress. And a lot of them have paid the price for Barack Obama's policies, whatever. Lastly, you know, it's good to know that we've turned the page, that the crises that uh, he inherited or that he, uh, that have happened on his watch have all faded. Uh, at least that was the message of his speech. And then, you know, within 48 hours, you see what has happened in Lebanon uh, and the transition in, and, excuse me, not Lebanon and Yemen and the transition in Saudi Arabia, et cetera. So I think this sort of self-congratulatory notion of, I got it all under control, we can turn the page, we're in new calm times just doesn't comport with reality. Dan, has the whole idea of what a State of the Union speech is supposed to be used for kind of changed? I mean, was this President Obama's opportunity to say, yeah, here is my agenda. I know it's not going to happen, but telling the country, this is at least what I want, and if, you're, if you like this, we'll pressure your folks to see if this can happen. Right. This is, why, this is the theater part of this. Um, this was a guy who we were talking at one point about not wanting to spike the football. He comes and stands up, spikes the football. He didn't even win the game. He didn't score a <laughs> touchdown and he's spiking the football. It's the most amazing thing. But what it is is you look at, as you said, the fewest number of Democrats sitting in the House in almost 100 years. When Bill Clinton lost the House in, in uh, 1994, in 96 he came back and his State of the Union was about the, big er the era exactly. of big government is over. Obama could have taken that tack knowing, facing all these Republicans in that House, or he could do what he did, which is to set the stage for 2016. And to set up, all, here's my agenda that I've been talking about, haven't done much on it, I had all these Democrats here, I didn't give you a free community college when I had all the Democrats in Congress, but now I'm going to propose it, knowing it's going to get killed, and I'm, we're going to campaign on it. And we're going to campaign on this class warfare, and to say the rich guys are out to get you, look what these bad Republicans did, they won't give you free community college, we're here to help you. So he set up this... I think, in a nice way for Democrats to campaign in 2016. Uh, Patty, the, one of the big press points for this was the second to last President Obama State of the Union. It, I, I think because of um, 
the lack of tradition of eloquence that George W. Bush brought to State of the Union speeches, the, the whole the speechifying from President Obama was always a big deal. But now as we get towards the end of uh, his presidential career, did, did it live up to the luster? Is it still a big President Obama speech, or is it same old, same old for folks? Oh, I think it became same old, same old in 2009, and the problem is you still have to broadcast it, so you might as well try to drum up any interest you can. When we were talking about theater, remember the theater, at least in 2008, when he was doing the DNC, you know, with the Greek pillars, was at least interesting. He, he, he did give a good speech then. It was energizing and that's one of the reasons everyone is so disappointed now whenever they listen to him deliver these stale scripts where we know he is not going to deliver except you won't need your 529 if we do get the community college all kids can go there instead <laughs> uh, you could actually blow up the template for the state of the union i mean what's the difference it doesn't have any effect anyway no one comes through and does what they say it's pretty interesting if you happen to watch his very his uh, web interview with three web celebrities yesterday the girl in the green lipstick which i was going to wear but i forgot uh, you know, that was actually a pretty interesting, free-ranging discussion that I would have been much more interested to hear on Tuesday. Two state commissions that made headlines in 2014 were not renewed this week by the legislature. Both the Colorado Voter Access and Modernized Elections Commission and the Colorado Pay Equity Commission were allowed to expire in state Senate committees with Republican majorities. Uh, Eric, this was a normal sunset review for these uh, different commissions, and they simply weren't renewed. Uh, that happens to commissions programs all the time. Uh, was it because of this week we saw Senate Republicans making a lot of headlines, or do you think this, this would have made headlines last year if uh, another committee probably would have let these sunset? I don't know. I'm deeply concerned whether the republic can endure um, without these uh, without these two commissions. Uh, as you point out, Dominic, these were routine sunset reviews. In the case of one of these commissions, uh, the sunset review recommended the termination of their commission, said their work is done, nothing left to accomplish. So all the legislature was doing was ratifying the recommendation of the Department of Regulatory Agencies. In the other case, uh, the Department of Regulatory Agencies, their review was, well, they haven't done much. It was a very damning review. <laughs> they haven't done much, but there's still an important mission out there, so let's not uh, put them out of their misery. Uh, I think there's less to this than meets the eye. Obviously, the one about pay equity is, you know, uh, sent a lot of people running to their respective corners, given the emotional intensity of, of that issue. And, and there's something to that issue, and obviously there ought to be equal pay for equal work. But as that issue is often presented, it is a fallacy. Um, and the numbers that are often presented to hype that issue are fallacious numbers. There is something there, but there is much less there uh, than meets the eye. So as I started, I think we'll endure. <laughs> Dan, there's you know, the, the typical partisan back and forth with the press releases about this, but at the end of the day, do you think this is something that somebody like a Governor Hickelooper is going to worry too much about? I, I don't think so. I think, I think Eric is exactly right. And talk about pay inequality. The two things this group was supposed to do was, one, raise awareness and come up with solutions. I think in 2000, going back to 2016 or going forward to 2016, we're going to be talking a lot about pay inequality, pay equality, equity, whatever you want to call it. So we're going to have the awareness is going to be raised regardless. One of the things this group was supposed to do was propose solutions to it and had 21 meetings and came up with zero solutions. I think this might just be one of those good government cases where we just end this. And in th if this is a real issue, we can talk about it in a different way. Uh, Patty, what's your perspective on these uh, two sunset reviews? 
Well, they did succeed in getting pay equity at this table, I think. We're all paid exactly the same huge that's amount, true. so We've that's good. always believed in pay equity at this table. Um, but you get your hair done. That's okay. good for you. More to the point, I think the election issue is one that if this committee wasn't going to address it, some committee is going to have to come along soon with everything that's now gone on with mail-in balloting, with the fact that soon everyone with their illegal driver's licenses that David's so concerned about will also be voting. I mean, there are a lot of election issues that are coming up, and we are going to have to deal with them. Whether or not this committee is the one to do it, the legislature better be sure someone's dealing with it. David, what do you think about Patty's point? Is there, with these commissions sunsetting, is there one that needs to happen to address some issues that are currently working? No. The, the, the sunset process was something thought up by Common Cause, the good government reform group, and the first sunset law in the country was passed in Colorado with my dad and Jerry Copel as the sponsor because it was recognized that regulatory agencies and commissions and things often get captured by special interests, uh, to the, especially to the detriment of the consumer. And this so-called pay equity commission was a good example of that. Two of the commission, two commission, former commissioners, mem members of the commission who testified, w women businessmen, Patty Kurgan and Kathy Barnstar, explained how the commission was run with an iron fist. They were sometimes not even allowed to ask questions. They were silenced, uh, bullied, and it was not a commission to investigate and find out information. It was only to produce one point of view, which was already predetermined. So it is a good thing for the taxpayers and a good thing for, for fair and open government, which ought to have both sides fairly discussed, to get rid of this dysfunctional uh, commission. Okay, well, let's get to our favorite part of the show, uh, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, start us off. Well, we are, unfortunately are going to have a very long-running disgrace with the James Holmes trial, with everything that is going on with it, with the endless uh, national reports, international reports, with the crazy sideshows that are going on. One victim, Carly Richards, just um, a year after she was shot, I believe, had the pellets removed from her body and just sold one for $1,600 on a serial killer website because that's what kind of crazy interest there is in this James Holmes trial and the Holmesies that are out there. And by the trial continuing, we are just going to have more of it going on for six months, eight months, a year. Mm -hmm. David. The City Council of Greeley for banning the outdoor consumption of, of e-cigarettes, which have no harmful anything in them, that goes to anybody else. It's not like a secondhand smoke issue. It's pure uh, malicious prejudice uh, against people. So what I'm used to hearing out of Greeley, did they forget they, they weren't yeah. Boulder for a couple of minutes or what happened? <laughs> they might, might cover up the uh, stockyard smell. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Eric. Well, there's so many directions to go this week, but let me piggyback on Patty. She is uh, absolutely correct. Just the notion on the Holmes trial that it could take five months to select a jury. I mean, uh, there's something in this country about swift justice. That concept has long ago gone out the window. It's been two and a half plus years since the, since the crime happened. We're now in a five-month jury selection process and then uh, however many months it takes to try the case. It's not a whodunit. I think as time goes on, there are going to be more and more questions raised about District Attorney Brockler's decision to even go this route and not take a plea agreement which would have put uh, uh, Mr. Holmes away for his natural life plus some. Um, it seems somewhat silly that we're going through this whole exercise at the moment. Especially hearing that, seeing that uh, Denver Post report about the, what jurors are probably going to go through in a long trial like that. Uh, Dan. 
There's a lot of disgraceful things happening in the country this week. And even though Patty doesn't want to talk about it, I have to say Tom Brady and Bill Belichick <laughs> right deflating footballs, causing problems. If the NFL didn't have a big enough black eye in the past year, now you got these two uh, creeps out in New England causing bigger problems. Go Broncos. It, it was a, a, a tough, uh, a, a tough uh, uh, job to actually get the city of Denver to root for the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, <laughs> but I think sure Bill Belichick uh, may, have, may have pulled that off. Uh, say something nice about somebody, Patty? Well, and I want to point out that Obama was using one of those deflated footballs when he spiked it after the State of the Union. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say something nice about someone we've said many nice things about lately, Dennis Gallagher, the auditor, who there's a film that's been made of his career, and it's airing on Wednesday night at the Oriental Theater. So if you want to go out, celebrate Dennis Gallagher, who's doing a great job in his last few months in public office. Go see that. That's uh, Dennis Gallagher, one of a kind, and we'll actually be broadcasting it here on Channel 12 uh, later this year. So I totally agree. It's a, it's a, it's a, a great uh, story of his whole career. It's pretty amazing. David. President Obama for standing up to the pressure from Fox News ETC uh, by not saying we are at war with radical Islam. The, we are at war with a subset of that. But if we're going to win that war, we're going to need the support or at least the neutrality of people who are radical Islamists, total, extreme, harsh Sharia law proponents, but who don't believe in accomplishing that through terrorism. We need them. We do not want to push those people onto the active side of the terrorists. Eric. Let me say something nice about uh, two former presidents, Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. In similar circumstances, after they had had very rough elections that went against them where Congress turned in massive numbers. They both acknowledged that reality and in that next State of the Union speech they, they, they recognized that there was a new reality on the ground. Uh, in the case of George W. Bush, he very graciously welcomed Nancy Pelosi in as speaker, even though you couldn't have two more diametrically opposed political uh, viewpoints. We talk about Holocaust deniers, we talk about climate deniers. The whole Obama strategy right now is one of election denial. Um, <laughs> the, 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 there's a denial going on that last November's election even happened. Dan. Uh, I serve on the advisory council for the USO Denver, and a lot of people think of the USO as Bob Hope and entertaining the troops, but they do a lot of good work here in Denver. They have a, a facility out at DIA where current soldiers can sit and relax in between flights, and uh, they do that with donations, but also with the help of some corporations like Northrop Grumman, Southwest Airlines, Safeway, who have uh, made recent donations, so I just want to say thank you for that. Very nice. That's all the time we had tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Remember that if you miss any part of the show or want to catch our web-exclusive segment, CIO Postgame, check out our website, cpt12.org, or YouTube. I also send out our takes via Twitter, so please feel free to follow me at ddizzuti. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.